Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Richard McCready teaches music technology, piano, and guitar at River Hill High School in Clarksville, Maryland, and is also the resource teacher for music technology for Howard County. Richard studied tuba performance, vocal performance, composition, and music education at the Royal Northern College of Music in England. He also studied at the Manchester Metropolitan University's Didsbury School of Education and at Towson University. He was awarded the 2013 Time Mike Coven's Teacher of the Year Award, the 2013 Howard County Music Educator of the Year Award, and was also the 2014 Maryland Outstanding Music Educator Award winner. He was also recognized by school band and orchestra as one of their 50 directors who make a difference in 2017 and was a Grammy Music Educator Award semifinalist in 2015. Richard has written curriculum for the International Baccalaureate, the Baltimore Symphony, the State of Maryland, Howard County, and Baltimore's Reginald F. Lewis Music of Maryland African American History and Culture. He is the author of Making Music with GarageBand and MixCraft and Make Your Own Music, a Creative Curriculum. His work at River Hill High School was featured in the school band and orchestra magazine's A Glimpse into the Future of Music Education cover article in April of 2013. He is also the series editor of the Oxford University Press Prestissimo series of music tech guides and was featured in the Music Technology Cookbook by Adam Patrick Bell. Well, ladies and gentlemen, for the second episode of season four, I am beyond thrilled to welcome one of my favorite music educators that I know and a good friend of mine, Richard McCready. Um, Richard, I've I've been, um, you know, I'm finally, you're on the show. I should have had you on years ago. I am so excited uh, that you're gonna share um, your knowledge and your experience with us, so welcome. Thank you, Jim. It really is an honor to join you and uh, what you're doing with these podcasts is really wonderful. So thank you so much for including me and I'm really looking forward to the conversation with you tonight. Awesome. Um, my absolute pleasure, uh, Richard. So let's get, let's just dive right into it. I met you for the first time probably 10, 12 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. I came to River Hill High School. I saw your incredible music program that you were running. I saw the rapport that you have with your students. Your students obviously love you. Um, and that's because you're a passionate, caring, empathic um, and very talented uh, musician, music educator. And I, I'll never forget you were doing a cut scene from a video game and having your students record their own music um, over it. And I was blown away. And my, my, my good friend and colleague, Robin Hodson was like, you've got to meet Richard. Um, and when I, when I met you, I knew instantly that we were kindred spirit. Um, why don't you tell us about, before we get into your program at, at where you teach, I, you have such a fascinating backstory. I'd love to hear about your career path, because for those 
people that listen carefully, they might have detected a slight accent. You've been in America for a while, but I know uh, where you're from. Why don't you talk about your career path? You know what what you what you you know what got you into music and, and how you ended up uh, teaching music in Maryland. Uh, well, I'm originally from Belfast in Northern Ireland, so I have a bit of a blended accent, having lived in the United States for thirty odd years now. Uh, but I, I started when I was very young. Uh, I first rolled up to uh, the choir of the cathedral when I was six years old. Mm. And they didn't take boys for the choir until I was eight, until until boys were eight. But on my mother's uh, insistence, uh, the organist listened to me sing and accepted me into the choir. So I, I kind of got a head start, yep. uh, which was which was really nice. I loved music through school. And uh, and uh, then I was lucky enough to be accepted to the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester, in England. Uh, voice wasn't an option for me at that age because at 18, boys' voices are just a mess. <laughs> and uh, so I went as a tuba player. Awesome. And, I love it. Uh, I know you're a tuba player yes, too, Yes, indeed. We're, we're all good people. <laughs> And I had a wonderful four years there uh, studying with Stuart Roebuck, uh, who had been one of the best tuba players in the United Kingdom, an amazing man, an amazing teacher. And I got this opportunity to play the best literature, to play things like Heldon Laban and Don Quixote and Alzo Sprach Zaratustra and uh, Die Meistersinger and all these wonderful tuba parts. And for a while, I kind of entertained this idea, oh, I'd love to do this for a living. I'd love to be a professional tuba player. And uh, then I actually counted up the number of full-time jobs <laughs> in the United Kingdom. And I realized that there were 17 full-time jobs for tuba players in the United Kingdom and one in Ireland. Wow. And I counted and I said, you know what? Every single Royal College, which is the top level of conservatoire, is sending out at least one professional level tuba player a year. Then you add in the next level down at places like Trinity... Uh, College of Music, yep. and you're adding another five or six professional level tuba players. Add in the universities, you've got an absolutely glutted market. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, I love music, um, but, you know, what can I do to continue in music, uh, which is not going to be just to, you know, single-mindedly try to get that job in an orchestral, uh, in, in basically a, a note factory right. in, yep. in a professional orchestra. And from a kid, I'd always loved teaching. My parents were teachers. And uh, so I went to pursue my PGCE, which in the United Kingdom is a postgraduate certificate in education in music, and uh, got a job in a school in Cheshire and did a couple of years there. And that was a rough couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I decided at that point, I need to take some time out to get my master's degree. My father and mother were living in the United States because my father was teaching at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And my parents said, you know, come on over, live with us, do a couple of years here, and then you can go back to England or go back to Ireland or wherever it is you want, and uh, you can get a better job. I came to the United States to do my master's degree. I loved it so much. I just never caught the plane home. Yeah. Yep. You know, I never packed my suitcase up again. Uh, I found that when I started teaching here, which I had started to do as part of my master's degree, and I went into American schools and I worked with American kids, 
I found their thirst for knowledge was so wonderful and it was very different to what I'd experienced in the United Kingdom. It didn't help that when I was teaching in the United Kingdom, I was 21, 22 years old. Right, right. And I had matured uh, by the time I got into teaching when I was in the United States. But uh, I just loved the opportunities that were here in the United States. Uh, for several years, I, I taught at the university in a graduate assistantship and I loved it. Uh, but that wasn't a full-time gig and it wasn't getting me the health insurance, which you need in the United States. Yep. And it wasn't getting me retirement. Uh, so I applied for a job in a middle school and uh, I got that job and I loved it. I was there for a long time and I, you know, six years and I thought this is what, what I'll do for the rest of my career uh, because it was a wonderful school and I had a principal that let me be creative and let me do what she believed I was capable of doing. And then one day the supervisor of music came to watch a lesson uh, and after the lesson, he said to me, he said, Richard, I have a golden opportunity for you. I need you to put in transfer papers for every high school in the county. He said, I can't tell you which one it is because I can't tell you who's resigning, but just put in those papers. So the next morning I had to go to my principal with uh, transfer papers. That I had already signed for every single high school in the county. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, that's not a good look. That's awkward. That's <laughs> you awkward. Know, it's like, it's it kind of I'll like do anything wanna, to get out of here. <laughs> yes, I want to be any place other than here. Right. Uh, but I explained that apparently there was a golden opportunity for me. And so uh, eventually I got rejection letters from every single high school except for one. And then I knew which one it was. And I went over there and I got this wonderful job at River Hill High School, uh, which I absolutely love. I yep. love the school. I love the kids. I love the community. And I love the opportunity that has been given to me there, uh, which has allowed me to really develop as an educator and to develop my identity as a teacher within, within this world. And uh, so it's just been a great blessing to me. And that's so, where I am today. Yeah. Why don't you explain or describe what you do? Um, because, uh, I mean... I was floored. I was blown away by your teaching position, your gig. I, and I, I think I even said to you, if I had your gig, I would never leave teaching or I would never have left. So why don't you, why don't you describe what, what you do on a daily basis at River Hill? Well, that's the feeling I get every day, Jim. Even though days can be tiring mm -hmm. and you're putting in a lot of work, uh, when you lock up that lab at the end of the day, you realize you're locking up a gold mine. Yep. Uh, I'm, I have a wonderful teaching situation, a beautiful lab, a uh, music technology lab, uh, which we created when I started the job. And uh, it has a lot of space. I have a private studio in there where kids can go in and record. Uh, the music department itself is very large. We have a full-time band teacher, full-time uh, chorus teacher, we have a part-time orchestra teacher, and then myself, I take care of music technology and guitar classes and piano classes. Uh, and it, the, the, the job came about really because of technology, which I use in my teaching. Um, when I was in high school, you know, I mean, every kid has their thing, right? Right. And I, you know... I sucked at sports and 
I was the shortest kid in the year and I was the youngest kid in the year, which means I was the last one to get my learner's permit. And that's quite painful when you're 16, 17 years old to realize that everybody else is starting to drive and you're not. Um, And I found my niche not only in music, but also in computer science. And I loved both of them. Uh, And I was a standout in both of those when I was in school. They both became my thing that I was known for. And so when I applied to college, I applied not only to the Royal Northern College of Music to study music, but I also applied to other universities to study music. And I applied to some music, some universities to study computer science. I was accepted at Goldsmiths in London, which is a top top computer science uh, place. I was accepted at Royal Holloway in Bedford to do computer science. And uh, I was stuck. And I went to my careers advisor, which uh, would be a guidance counselor here in the United States. And I said, what do I do? I've got an opportunity to study computer science. I've got an opportunity to study music. And he looked at me and he said, Richard, any fool can learn to program a computer, but music is God-given. Oh, wow. That's great. And I walked out of there and I knew what to do. I accepted the place at the Northern Uh, But I kept up with my computer science all the way. And uh, I would go across to the newsagent across from the the college and uh, I would buy the latest computer magazines and just read them and just learn about what was happening. And uh, then when I got my first job, uh, I asked, I said, you know, that they said, can we offer you anything to take this gig? And I said, uh, I'd love to come here and teach music, but I'll need, you know, a couple of computers to teach. And they said, okay, they'll be in place by September 1. That was a big lie. (laughs) They didn't arrive. Right. You know, oh, there was the change of budget during the summer. Of course. Right. Uh, But I had a a head of music and and I said to her, what am I supposed to do? I I had asked for these computers because I was going to do sequencing. I was going to do MIDI stuff with the kids. And she looked at me and she said, Richard, I don't care so long as they're creative and happy. Oh. And I, and then I walked into the classroom with my kids for the first time and I thought, creative and happy. Okay, let's go for it. And then I discovered that when those kids were creative, they were happy. And when they were happy, they were creative. And even without computers, even without the technology, I realized that I could make composition and make creativity a central part of what they were going to do. And ultimately, it wasn't the technology that mattered. It was the creativity of the kids. And so this creative and happy idea absolutely created who I am as an educator. Mm -hmm. The creativity is the top thing that I'm always thinking of in what I design in the classroom. Uh, so then when I took this job in a middle school, uh, in Howard County, I told the principal, I said, I really want to be able to do, uh, computer stuff with the kids. And she said, look, there's this, uh, there's this nonprofit called the Lazarus Foundation. I'll place a call to them and you can go visit them. And the next Saturday I went to the Lazarus Foundation and it was a bunch of like retired engineers who took apart old computers that were donated and fixed them up again to be given away oh, to wow. schools. Very cool. And that that morning it was it was great fun because I had all these 
you know. <laughs> these, That's awesome. I, I can only call them elderly geeks. Right, right. You know, uh, uh, we took apart these computers and they were like, oh, you're going to run audio, you're going to do this, or you're going to, you know, you know. And they specced out these computers and I left that day with uh, six computers, five for the classroom and one in case one breaks down. And the next week I had kids, you know, doing stuff in super duper music looper. Yeah. Uh, what a great Sony, program. <laughs> Sony acid. Yep. Um, noteworthy composer. Awesome. And it, it was awesome. And it, the, the kids just absolutely loved it. And obviously something exciting was happening. And, uh, that's the reason then that my supervisor came in that day and saw what I was doing and said, I've got a golden opportunity for you because he wanted to create a music technology lab. Oh, he wanted to create the flagship lab, which then the rest of the county would be based around. And he knew he had a space at River Hill High School. He knew he had an interest there from the administration. All he needed was somebody to teach it. And when he saw what I was doing, and they saw that the kids were so happy and so creative. He guided me towards that job and getting that job was the easiest interview I've ever done, Jim. <laughs> you know? Right. It was so nice. It was just this feeling of, you know, I've got the job. This is great. I love it here. This is going to work for me. And, uh, and when I, you know, after I got the job, then we started to put numbers together. What can we buy? How many computers can we get? What can we do for keyboards? What can we do for audio interfaces? What can we do for microphones, headphones? And so a, a big change had happened for me in 20 years where in my first teaching job, I'd expected two computers and got nothing. Here, I really expected nothing. And I got this beautiful lab right. dropped in my lap. And uh, music technology then was, was brand new to the county. Uh, it wasn't even in the course catalog. Uh, it was only available at our one school until we could get the other places kitted out. So I had the opportunity to create the curriculum. And so I, I created it around kids being happy and creative. And I looked at what I thought they should be uh, learning in terms of music technology and what would put them on a good path to uh, audio engineering degrees, towards recording degrees, towards songwriting degrees, and also towards having 21st century skills uh, for our band kids and our strings kids and our choir kids. And so I was able to design it around that, and I'm still able to do that. So as the Great. new technology comes along, the powers that be are turning to me and saying, okay, what do we do with this? And so when when we've had great advances, for example, when Pro Tools began to be available for, you know, for standalone workstations there, right. let's get Pro Tools, what can we do with this? When Sibelius started to come in uh, at a much lower price point than it had been around, that came in. And now most recently, of course, with Music First and with all the browser-based stuff that's happening, uh, everything they're doing, they're saying, how do we get this into the schools? What ideas do you have, Richard, about what we do? And so I get to spend a lot of my time creating projects uh, which are happy and creative for the kids, uh, no matter what school they are in. And uh, I've been able to thankfully road test them on my ever-loving guinea pigs at River Hill High School. <laughs> and then, you know, we're getting great responses across the county of schools teaching music technology to big classes 
and many kids going into the industry uh, in in some in some angle. And so right. it's really wonderful to see that pick up throughout the county. That's great. I mean, there are so many things to unpack with what you just said, Richard. First of all, you and I are are almost carbon copies. I was the youngest kid in my uh, class. Um, you know, but thinking back to uh, you know the the kind of I was a music uh, nerd. I was a I was a technology. I took computer science. I was learning how to program. But my guidance counselor, when I said, "What should I do, music or computers?" which was my exact same choice, mm -hmm. my guidance counselor said, "Computers are a fad. Go into music." That was <laughs> so. It was a little less eloquent than yours. So, um, really, it's great. But one of the things I wanted to I'm sure that we're of the same mindset on this and that I hear, you know, in my graduate um, course that I, the courses that I teach, mm -hmm. um, and I've been doing that for a long time, that one of the number one questions that I get from teachers um, about, you know, how do I use technology with my kids, I'm always telling them that te technology is only the tool. Mm -hmm. um, don't think of the technology, think of what you want to do. And when you were just saying with a, you know, administrator saying, you know, what should we do with this technology? What should we do with this? It's really the, the concepts of the projects don't change. It's just the technology or the, the how to get from the idea to the finished product might change. But the core of what you're doing with creativity, which is I'm going to give the kids some type of prompt. Mm -hmm. um, some type of background, some type of job, a project, whatever it is. I mean, working composers, as you probably know, they're not given ever the opportunity or very rarely to say, just write whatever you want. Right. Um, it'll be, you know, <laughs> hey, we need 30 seconds of a 1920s French cafe in Paris background music. Right. Um, so I always talk about this with my students, and I'm sure this is the type of mindset that you have is that you know that's what you think about not the well how do i how do i make this button work um yeah that's something you have to know to get to the end result but the end result is that 30 seconds of 1920s parisian cafe music um, yeah it, it, it doesn't matter what piece of software you're using correct uh ultimately the kids will find a way to work it out and there's so much available to them in terms of tutorials on YouTube and lynda.com and so many websites. And if they want to find, okay, how do I, you know, how do I add a sidechain compressor? It, it may not be something that I specifically teach in Music Tech 1, but I might have a Music Tech 1 kid that goes and learns how to do that and works how to do that in Ableton Live or Pro Tools or something right. like that. Yep. Um, the overall picture is... You know, I I often refer to uh, the Zuni philosophy of beginning with the end in mind and then let the process be your guide. So the way I teach is I say, okay, here's what the end is. You're going to record the narration for a children's book. And this is what it's going to be. Right. And then how we get there, we teach the process. And then they let the process be their guide in terms of the choices they make along the way. Yeah, and re and really, it doesn't like like you started off. Uh, you know, your your kind of 
in your teaching career, you had two computers to start, then you had six computers that were built by retired geeks. You know, it, I'm always saying you have one of the most beautiful music technology labs I've ever seen, but it would be completely useless if it wasn't for you and the passion and the curriculum and the project ideas that you bring to it. I've seen some incredible labs taught by teachers that really didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> um, and, and you're just like, what an incredible waste. Um, but yeah. you know, that's what I say. If you have two junky computers, you can still be an amazing teacher and still do amazing things with technology. You don't necessarily have to have a Rolls Royce. Um, it's yeah. it's all about the the prompts, the concepts, the teaching, the pedagogy, the curriculum. Yeah, I always I, I think of it, and I talk to the kids about it's like learning to drive. You, um, and it doesn't matter what sort of car you are driving; uh, you're learning the same basic skills. Yep. Uh, and you will drive many different cars in your lifetime. And just because you did your driving test in a Honda Civic does not mean that you can only drive Honda Civics for Correct. the rest of your yep. life. Absolutely. Okay, big shout out to Honda there. there <laughs> and I, I teach them as well that when we are in our early stages, for example, when we're using Soundtrap, which we use at the beginning of the course, I'm basically teaching you to drive an automatic. And I'm teaching you all the things to get to that end goal safely in an automatic. And then when we're ready, we're ready to go up to stick shift. We're ready to go to Ableton Live. We're able to go to Pro Tools. And then they're able to see the, the end, but then follow an even more interesting process just in terms of the directions it goes because they have so much more for them to play with and to get interested in and get stuck in in something like a Pro Tools or an Ableton Live. Yeah. It, it, uh, and it, then it, I... And then right. I know that what's going to happen to them if they go on into their career, you know, they're not going to go turn up in a professional studio one day. They're not going to show up at Blackbird Studios one day and, you know, get offered a gig and then say, oh, I'm sorry, I've only ever used Soundtrap. Right. <laughs> it, it, you know, yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, Soundtrap is an amazing beginning piece of software yes, absolutely. for them. And it just allows them then to safely scaffold into the point where maybe they are going into uh, Blackbird Studios, and they're 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 mastering a 128 track uh, piece of music in yep. Pro Tools or Studio One or something. Yep. All right, so I gotta I gotta move on because I could talk to you for hours, um, <laughs> but I I need to know. Um, obviously, we've all suffered through for the last 18 months this this horrible pandemic, and it's had an incredibly terrible impact on music programs specifically, in my opinion it's the part of the school that's, that's had the most impact. Um, uh, maybe dance, maybe sports, um, but music has just really been kind of punched in the face. Mm -hmm. I wanna know what you did um, in the last school year, um, you know, to, to get through it. Um, you know, were, were you remote? Were you in person? What are you doing now? We were completely virtual from March to March. So wow. when we closed March 13th, we were completely virtual and then we went to April 1st and on April 1st, we went hybrid. Uh, thankfully, uh, Music First and Soundtrap and Note Flight were available. 
which really meant that my ship did not sink. Yep. Uh, because with that, with high-end software like Ableton, Pro Tools, you can't do that remotely. Um, I, you could, you know, you no. could build like tutorials, but the kids can't get their hands on it. They, they can't. I'm, I mean, I'm happy to lend them a guitar to take home. Yep. But a MacBook, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we were able to transfer our skills into into Soundtrap and into NoteFlight. And the joy of that was that then the kids had something at home. And I thought it was amazing the way companies such as your own, Jim, and some others just made that software available for people right at the beginning, beginning of the pandemic. Yep. It was such an incredibly generous thing, which prevented many programs from sinking. Uh, I thought it was alarming that, you know, Music First and Ableton and Mixcraft, and I, I really shouldn't start the list because right. I will miss out many people, you know, um, were able to do that so that many of my students could then continue the creative work at home. And that helped them through the pandemic and through the fear of being isolated at home. Uh, and then what we did is we started to get uh, our band kids and our choir kids and our orchestra kids to learn to record in Soundtrap and to learn to uh, compose in notation in note flight. And these were wonderful skills to teach them, uh, which we have now continued. Even now that we're back, uh, we are still teaching in note flight and Soundtrap with these performance-based classes. So are you back? Are you back? Like the kids are there every day with masks we're, on, and what's we're full, going on? We're full time with masks on. Yep. But what's like happening now is that the kids are even these performance kids uh, are learning to record, and I think that's so wonderful in the modern economy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the gig economy through the pandemic has gone so much so that now you can pick up thousands and thousands of dollars for sitting at home recording guitar tracks for other people's songs. Yep. And there's a whole clearinghouse of places where you can just apply to get these gigs and somebody will send you the stems of their song, you record your guitar part, it goes back, you get paid, and there you go. If that had been available when I had been coming out of college, when my, you know, yep. tuba playing was still at college level and I still had my lip, I would have jumped on that. Absolutely. I would have made so much money yeah. <laughs> just recording tuba parts. I would have taken any piece of work I could have done. And I think of these kids today and when I hear them practice and, you know, and, and, I, and, and I, I don't want to go to them and, and crush them and say, you know, I, I love how you're practicing that trumpet lick from Petrushka. But I think, will you ever have a professional job playing that lick that you're preparing for? Because the jobs are getting less and less and yeah. less. But then I think, no, there are those gigs. If you can learn to record yourself, then you can do that. And those 21st century skills for a different musical economy are what COVID has opened up to us. And so we're able to teach those skills, not for the purpose of just something to do until we can get the band back together again. It's not Amen. about that. Amen. <laughs> and we, well have, 
we have so many teachers now, thankfully, that you and I have worked with, Jim, and we've seen them in the social media groups and we've seen them at, uh, at webinars, uh, people who are continuing to say, how can I, you know, continue to teach kids to sequence and to record? Yep. Because I think if we, I mean, there used to be a time when you put kids in band and you were giving them this opportunity to continue this when there was semi-professional wind orchestras all around this country. Yep. And the kids were able to get even part-time gigs playing flute in the local town band, you know, and they might have made 10 bucks a month or something doing it, but it was a semi-professional gig. Those don't exist anymore. Are we still teaching band to do that to an empty economy? We can still teach these performance ensembles. We can still maintain this high quality of performance ensembles but instead of saying, okay, one day you're going to play with the town band, maybe one day you're going to play that lick on a recording by Garth Brooks yeah. or something like yep. that. Yep. Because that is, that's right there. And yeah, I mean, the two biggest employers for, music, for live musicians in the country are the United States military and Disney. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody knows that. You know, that, that's where I, when I graduated, um, my little kind of what should I do, be a tuba player or be a teacher, I mm -hmm. was I was two seconds from joining the military because I knew that that was a really good career option as a tuba player. In fact, it was either I did that or I auditioned for Disney. And that was an right. extremely, I mean, the Disney audition is almost as competitive as any of the orchestral. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so um, but, I hear but you loud and clear. These days, Disney's not going to put you on a plane and fly you out to Anaheim to audition. Uh, that's the truth. You've got to have the skill to record your audition to even yep. get in the door. Yep. Oh, well so, said. Yeah, all that skill which kids are being are able to, it blows my mind that they're able to learn how to record in a browser-based piece of software. Yeah, it is. It is, uh, especially for those of us with some gray hairs on our head, yep. it's mind-blowing that you could, it's, it's like witchcraft that you can do that. Absolutely. And so the more we continue to push that, I think that's that's fantastic. Uh, in terms of my own classes, I continued on the curriculum um, in terms of teaching them modes and chords and melodies and bass lines. And I also borrowed, um, borrowed a project from Will Kuhn, who is one of the most real teachers I know. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. Just, Previous he, guest, I love him. Oh, just keeps it so real. And he posted this video of one of his kids on a bike going around the neighborhood in Lebanon, Ohio. And the music was just solitary and distant. And it was a piece of music about this young girl's feelings in the pandemic. So I got my class to watch it. Right. We, we wrote to her. Uh, she sent a video back to us. And then all the kids created videos of their own feelings during the pandemic. And they all used their knowledge of modality to create the mood that they wanted within the music. And so they were able to actually do something creative here, which really allowed them to explore their feelings in ways they couldn't because we were not with them in school. Right. And a lot of their internal worry and how scared they were about what was happening was able to come through being able to use Soundtrap, and then we used Wii Video to create the video. Oh, that's and great, it, great It stuff. turned out to be a beautiful project, and it, it was so fulfilling, and the kids really, really, really liked it. And then when we started to come out of the pandemic, 
the kids that I had that semester started did videos about the hope of coming out of the tunnel. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. it was lovely. Uh, that's I mean, that all you know. Why don't the, the kind of projects that you do, Richard? And and we wrote we wrote a book together. I don't know yep. ten years ago, uh, teaching music with GarageBand and Mixcraft. And you um you you had a couple of lessons. What can you give the listeners like one or two of your what other activities that you do with your kids? Uh, oh, that's a very good question. You mentioned earlier uh, putting music to a video game. Yeah, I I love doing that one. I love giving kids the opportunity to to set a scene from a video game. Uh, I also do a project in which I tell the kids that they have to approach a software company. Uh, I tell them you're going to GT Interactive or you're going to EA Sports and you've got to give a presentation of what your game is about. And uh, as part of your presentation, not only are you going to say what the different levels of the game are, but also you're going to provide the music for those different levels uh, so that you've got to think about where are my different levels going in terms of time, in terms of place, uh, in terms of atmosphere, but how do I provide different music to go with that. And so we get to, you know, study some of the great video game scores uh, and to look at how that music changes in different scenes within a game. Yeah. And you know what, Richard, I, I, I don't think that or enough music educators realize just how huge of an industry the um, composition for video games is. Yeah, it's massive. Um, I, I, one of my dearest friends has been writing music for a video game for the last two or three years, and they are using Eastern European orchestras, full wow. orchestras, to record it. It's not synth stuff. They are having live musicians play these incredible sweeping scores of the things like cutscenes. A lot of people, I'm sure you're on the same page as I am, but a lot of people or a lot of educators fear video games thinking that kids are wasting their brains playing this mm. stuff. They're actually, I mean, there's so many great books, uh, James Paul G, um, really, uh, Stephen Johnson, they're whole, mm. like everything bad is good for you. I've read so many things about how video games are, uh, you know, pretty incredible. And there's like an entire musical culture that goes around to stadiums uh, and here's video game music right. played live. They watch kids play video games. I mean, yeah. don't discount that. It's such an amazing industry and it's one of the best for kids who are composers. Yep. And I, I even have kids bring stuff to me that they found online and they listen to this and I'm being introduced to all sorts of wonderful new music. Yeah. The stuff that I didn't come across while learning the classical canon when I was at college, I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, doing music for video, doing music for animation is superb. Uh, the kids really show incredible creativity uh, when they're working. I actually have one uh, student who now has a gig with DreamWorks composing music. Oh my God, and that's awesome. He, ha he has his own uh, show, Harvey Street Kids. Uh, wow. He does all the music for Harvey Street Kids. Wow. And it, it, I mean, I'm so proud of him for, for where he's gone yep. with that. Oh, and that's incredible. Yeah. A wonderful young man. And he, he just took to composition. Uh, he was a viola player in orchestra and he was always at the back desk and he yep. always looked like, well, he looked like a back desk viola player. Right, right. Um, <laughs> the view wasn't good. 
And then, but when he got into the lab, he just became animated, loved to write. And then I, I, you know, I, sometimes he gets in touch with me and tells me the latest project he's working on. And it just blows my mind. I'm so proud of him. That's, that's fantastic. And I know that he's fulfilled as a person. He is completely fulfilled as a musician doing what he does. So Richard, I have two final questions for mm-hmm. you because I'm looking at the clock and I want to make sure we get to them. So my first is, and, and I think there's nobody better positioned than yourself to do, what advice would you give to other music teachers who are thinking of incorporating music tech into their programs? And I know that many of them were forced to with COVID, but I'm talking about you know real thoughtful integration of technology. What, what advice would you give them? I, I would say, please go ahead and do it. It's not something to be scared of. Uh, We've got so much incredible support through the music technology world. Uh, We've had time around for many, many years. And there are some absolute superstars around the country who are so willing to help you. And yeah, I mean, the, the, you're, you're part of the very uh, rarefied and glorified toady crowd, which is a teacher of the year from, uh, from time and all the toadies. That's what we affectionately yep. call you guys. You guys are all amazing. I've, I've interviewed most of them at mm-hmm. this point and um, just an incredible uh, group of people. And all of them are more than willing to share uh, right. their successes with you. And there are also so many others now who are doing such great things. I think of Bob Habersat and what he's doing with Shed the Music and the generosity with which he is sharing his expertise is wonderful. I think of what Katie Wardrobe is doing with Midnight Music is unbelievable. Uh, And her generosity in helping teachers feel comfortable with technology. And not making it seem difficult. Students are very good at working with technology, and they will happily uh, find their own path. Uh, it's up to you as an educator to teach them music and to keep the fire lit with them um, so that they are able to uh, create in music. You know, we talk about oftentimes music and musicians being gifted. And, you know, that word gifted, unfortunately, it can be an adjective to describe a child as gifted, like they had some form of predisposition. Right. But also gifted is a verb. My parents gifted me by supporting me, by getting me my first computer, by getting me my first tuba, by taking me back and forward to choir practices and band practices I was gifted because of them. Yep. What we have now is the potential to gift those students because we have this software available. What you have done, Jim, in making music first such a turnkey interface is amazing because you've done all the back end work of that. And you can just get kids into Soundtrap or into OGen or into NoteFlight and they're going to know what to do. Yep. And so you have gifted the music teachers with that. And now I think it's the turn for the music teachers to gift the students with that opportunity. Because of the pandemic, we've got so many more kids who have access to technology that they didn't have before. 
every child in our county now has a county-issued Chromebook, and they can access that anywhere. Yep. We have internet throughout the county, and it's become it's come because of the of COVID, and it's come because school boards and school governments realized we have to give children access to technology. And well, so, very, 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 very kind and uh, spot on words there, Richard. Um, it is uh, I love the way you the, that you turned gifted into a verb, and I hope every teacher listened. Uh, to that. I'm sorry to cut you off. I have one okay. last question for you, Richard. Yep. Um, and that is the magic wand. Um, so if you could wave a magic wand um, to have any music technology, music first, it doesn't matter, anything in the realm of software, hardware for music tech, um, do something that it can't do now, what would it be? Uh, you know, years ago, I thought it would be so cool if you could have a, a four track tape recorder about the size of a Palm Pilot. <laughs> and now you have it with your phone with Soundtrap, right? Yeah. So I, I, I got to dream bigger. My big dream would be the ability to use plugins in a, in a browser uh, and to get to the point where we could bring in VST plugins yep. into Soundtrap, even into NoteFlight. And that would open up so many possibilities it sure because would. there's such rich stuff out there. Um, you know, when I teach in Soundtrap, I feel a little bit hampered by the EQ there. And I would love to borrow an EQ from a company that specializes in EQs yep. Yep. and put that in there. I would love someday for Music First to collaborate with Ableton Live. Oh, my goodness. I hope they're of, listening. I would love that. Oh, browser-based Ableton Live. That would be the ultimate. <laughs> sure and would. And then to take that and to be able to to instantiate Ableton Live from within Soundtrap and then to instantiate plugins. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That would make life incredible. Well, Richard, so. um, I love you. I, I love, <laughs> love you too, to you. Jim. You're fantastic. Um, and I'm sure that those that, that have listened through the podcast realize just, just how special of a music educator you are. Um, I hope to see you in person in the very near future, Richard. I hope so. And, and if, what I'll do is in the um, links to the podcast, I'll make sure I, I get, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, I'll put those links in there. But thank you so much, Richard, for spending some time with us. I appreciate it. It's a joy, Jim. It really is. You know, I love talking about music tech and I love talking to you. So it's it's just an honor and, and a joy. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you got it, Richard. Anytime. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.